0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons.
1: episode 113 of the ink to film podcast where we read the book
0: and then see the movie
1: i'm luke and i'm james and this week we discuss the second half of stephen king's 2013 novel doctor sleep so james i don't know if you know about naNoWriMo it's the national novel writing month but i'm doing that right now and reading this book at the same time and uh it's been a pretty interesting experience
0: yeah, I'm familiar with it basically just because of you and and I see people in my in my Twitter feed and Facebook and stuff like that talking about it. But right. so why specifically is it is it interesting? So
1: I you know, I will assume that we probably have a few listeners out there at least who might be also participating. Um, so I wonder if any of them are are having this experience where if you're deeply reading a novel while also generating just tons and tons of words for this challenge, this fifty thousand words in a month challenge, uh, I should probably lay that out for anybody who doesn't know. That's essentially what it is. You write fifty thousand words of a novel in the month of November. Um, it's just kind of a, a yearly challenge that writers do to just try and generate a ton, a ton of new content or new, new, uh, new words. Um, anyway, but the experience of reading King while doing this is interesting because he's such a good writer and I love a lot of the details he chooses and, and he's very inspiring in a way. And I can't help but feel like it's somehow affecting my writing. Like I like to think that I'm, I'm, I'm being inspired to look for certain details that maybe I wouldn't have thought of or, or what have you. And it's just the effect of like reading quality prose while writing, I think is actually Really beneficial so if if anybody out there is doing nano i know that it's like a super hard time crunch thing but take some time to read some quality fiction while you're doing it because i think it's helping me
0: so like once it's all completed and whatever you're working on right now you're starting to like go back through it and do revisions i wonder if you'll be able to see like some sort of reflection from the project like if you'll be like this is so interesting because it's very clearly like like that doctor sleep was like in the back of your mind or something (laughs)
1: I mean, it's possible there might be little things here and there. It might also be the kind of stuff that only I would notice um because right. i'll I'll remember that i that I got that specific idea from something but um it's also this is a novel I've been working on for two years so and we've been covering tons of shit over the last two years, so in a way, like everything we've covered might have some effect on different parts of it and at the point that and i've revised it so many times it's just going to be probably hard to pick and choose like little things and say oh this definitely came from that but uh i don't right. know it, it all has an effect anyway i just thought that was interesting right
0: it's cool because i use the podcast sometimes to look at like life events and i'll think like what were we covering <laughs> during this d- when when you know i was on this vacation or whatever you right know? so it's cool to like kind of trace it back I, and it's cool it'd be cool to see that like in your art as well
1: yeah, for sure. You know, and maybe maybe someone one day will read something I've written and and say, "Hey, this you know, it seems like you were maybe inspired by this project on your podcast, and maybe I will be. That's uh, definitely a possibility."
0: Yeah. I feel like it's gonna be such a subtle way, you know, it's not gonna be like a, a plot detail or anything like that. It'll be something like very specific. Yeah. So
1: And probably something only I, only I would notice.
0: <laughs> right. But
1: anyway, so this is our second episode on Doctor Sleep the novel. All that aside, um we are gonna be discussing the the, the plot of the second half. So in that sense, I don't think we're gonna do any spoiler free. Uh, sections because we assume that if you're re- if you're listening to this either you don't care or you've already read it or you were visiting it maybe after seeing the movie and you're curious about what goes on in the novel. Um so we're probably just going to launch right into it. Um do you have any off the top stuff you want to you want to talk about before we get into
0: plot? The only like major thing I wanted to say generally is just um after after finishing this novel I'm surprised at how successfully it was able to stay its own story without becoming like o- o- openly and and like obviously a, a, a shining sequel. Okay. You know, I think it, I think it, it maintained like a certain level of self, you know what I mean, like it has its own story to tell. Its own identity. And I think and I think there were moments that I was expecting it to kind of lean really heavily into shining stuff and I, and it never did. So, uh, you know, I I think to differing Degree. I enjoyed it overall, but I think to different I kind of was expecting something and got something a little different, so it kind of threw me off for a little bit. But ultimately, I think it all worked out for the best.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, and I agree. I, I'm not. Um, I I I really respect King's writing, and, and I enjoyed this novel. Um, but that's not to say I don't have criticisms and I don't have things that maybe disappointed me or that I that I wish had gone down differently. Um, but in general, those were minor. Um, like you said, it kind of felt like it was its own thing and it, and it stayed true to its vision. Um, and then at the end, I also had a lot of like general, um, almost, uh, meta observations where I want to, I want to pick your brain about whether or not we can interpret anything about Stephen King and his life and his relationship to his family and all that stuff, um, in the end. So I think that'll be fun to touch on, but, um, I want to save that for the end once we kind of go through everything that happens, so it could be fresh in our minds and we can we can use that to inform our our opinions
0: sounds cool yeah
1: okay um so i think i'm gonna go ahead and jump right into plot summary then i have it divided into four large chunks um which i'm gonna read and then we can we can talk about them in more detail so lastly left off we were i think we had just talked about dan conversing with dick halloran you know, as a ghost. And then, uh, the revelation, uh, of Abra discovering that, uh, the boy had been murdered, the baseball boy and, uh, Dan and Abra finally meeting up for the first time, which was, a, which was an exciting moment. So that was what just happened. So the true knot begin to die off from measles contracted from their last victim, the baseball boy. They believe that Abra's steam can cure them. Abra asks for Dan's help. And he reveals his connection with Abra to her father, David and their family doctor, John Dalton. Angry and skeptical at first, David starts to believe Dan and agrees to go along with his plan to save Abra. With the help of Billy Freeman, one of Dan's friends, they foil and kill a raiding party sent by Rose, led by Rose's lover, Crow Daddy. However, Dan realizes that Rose will relentlessly hunt Abra for revenge. Okay, so that just covers a huge chunk of the novel there, so we can, we can slow down and talk about this in a little more detail.
0: So I think something that was really difficult for for Stephen King to figure out, I th- and this is just me theorizing, but I had this idea of like John Dalton very clearly is the way that that Dan and and Abra and everyone are able to convince the family and everybody else that. Dan and and Abra's relationship is like on the up and up like it's like it's he seems like this character where it's like he's the pediatrician He's going along with it because of AA he's going along with it because he's like he's gotten the evidence at this point Right, He's seen Abra's powers before Um, and I think he's just like a great way of like I think quickly and efficiently just like tying all the threads together and making it believable for everybody but I th- I was thinking a lot after we talked about your theory on um, David, like maybe... Totally uh, wrong, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe like inhabiting Jack Torrance and... and or, because he's a writer. Jack
1: Torrance inhabiting him, yeah.
0: J- right, Jack Torrance inhabiting him. And I think I-, I was thinking a lot about that. So I just kept expecting it to happen because I was like, that would make so much sense. <laughs> yeah, I-, I started to move
1: off that theory too, because I started to think it was going to be more of a direct... Like maybe he was he was gonna uh, interact with with uh, Danny directly and and he, I guess he does later but in, in a very different way and part of that I think is also my memory of the book and the movie getting clouded and and, and uh, sort of messing with each other so we can talk about that as we get to it too but um in this early on part here what did you think of the of the measles uh, reveal because it was interesting because it put like this clock it put this uh, this timer on everything and it made the true have to behave in sort of a semi-reckless manner because it seemed like they were all dying all of a sudden. And I think it's a smart thing to do. And I wonder where in in the plotting of this novel he came up with that because to me it felt like an elegant solution for... A criticism someone might have of reading it and going like they're behaving a little bit too recklessly why would they do this why wouldn't they just decide to play it safe here and when you add the measles in it adds this like tension of like oh we're all dying anyway so we have to act now and we have to do dramatic things um so I'd, I'd be curious as a writer just to know that like because i'm very curious about process stuff
0: i think it's it's also cool that he he set two timers basically he set one with them running out of steam and, like, that on its own could be enough to push the true to, like, do some reckless things. But, like yeah. you said, the added the addition to, like, them actually dying and, like, having a threat, um, I still, I, I mean, I'm clear. I understand why, because because reasons. But, like, they weren't affected by any sickness until this boy. And is it this kid's, like, hatred or his sort of, like, you know, what, what was the reason that this, this was the time they were finally able to get sick?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it does seem like there was an overall sense that they were weakening. Like they were running out of steam, right? They, they Like the, the years hadn't been as good for them recently. Um, and I wonder if that's some sort of reflection of modern society that, that King was trying to say and that these like relics were dying out, right? Like Because they kind of represent like this old ancient evil. Um, and then the other thing is that I kept thinking of the anti-vax problem. And how we are actually getting like measles outbreaks now in the country where that disease had basically been wiped out, and it seemed to me like King must have been reading like there are measles coming back in the united states and and the idea that that was was included here felt to me like some sort of commentary was being made,
0: yeah, I didn't even think about that that sort of like anti vax like commentary that like like you know these preventable things are are coming back,
1: yeah. So I wonder if like maybe in the height of their power, maybe it's also like uh, maybe he's making a statement about how there's less suffering overall. I don't know. Like why were are the true unable to feed as, as well, right? Um, and or, or or maybe there's less mysticism and, and like shining or or maybe they're depleting their food source by, by over hunting it or something. I don't know. It's, but there's something going on, right?
0: Yeah. And it's I think that's almost stated, too, is like they're 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 within the true. They have a couple conversations that are like, you know, th- people aren't as there's not as much out there, not as much food out there as there used to be and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I think it's all of those combined maybe weakens them enough to where they can be affected by a disease that the otherwise um, when they're really full of steam, maybe would be immune to. That's the only thing I could imagine. Um, but yeah. So let's talk about this this showdown, which I thought was like really cleverly plotted. And, and as someone who's like in the midst of plotting right now, it's hard. And, and man, like, I love the way he, he meticulously builds, um, throughout this novel, this back and forth, right? Like where it seems like each side keeps getting the up, upper hand and then their reveal of like, oh no. So, so essentially like they lure them out. Dan is pretending to be Abra. He's like projecting as her and all this stuff because they, they're able to swap minds with each other and this like you know, very dark fantasy sort of way. And uh, through that, they're able to lure them out there. But um, there's a hint that something's different. And then like Crow Daddy's not there. And then come to find out Crow Daddy uh, off of like a hunch, essentially and something that uh, Jimmy told him. He got out of the, the, you know, the Winnebago they were driving and decided to go after Abra directly um who you know because because the whole misdirection thing and that reveal the way that came out was cool because it was like oh they they just killed him and they got the upper hand but then it was like oh wait this other thing's happening so it just like that's uh that's hard stuff to set up in a way that works like that and it was it was well done um and then i really like the confrontation i love the way that that king like really breathed life into all the characters even the ones in the true and so when they were dying and like rattlesnake andy was dying and stuff like it wasn't just like, yeah, they're beating the villains. It, it, like he kind of felt bad for her and somewhat. And, and he just, he, he, he made it a little gray, right? Like, and, and they, they did have some genuine emotion and they were, even though they were monsters, they were also people.
0: Yeah. There are a couple of things that I loved about how, how it all went down. One, one thing was like, just like this sort of like adrenaline spike, like the violence that could come out of someone. Uh, I think John is the one who, who like hits her with the butt of his gun. Yeah. And fractures her her jaw and like it's like And he says that he was just
1: scared right like it was just adrenaline yeah
0: and he and he's just like dealing with the fact that he just did that and then also with the sort of cycling that they do he can see like the brain bleed and like the broken jaw and as a doctor
1: he was like i could see he knew what it was yeah
0: the other thing i loved is um kind of dan's process through the whole fight uh he's like realizing as they're fighting as things are going down that these people are not used to fighting out in the open. They're used to like coming at people like in the shadows and, and you know, trapping them and, and uh he could tell by the way that like they weren't prepared. And even like the gun they had was sort of like a Trank gun seemingly or something. They didn't yeah. even have any real weapons cause which makes sense for their, for their sort of group because they don't, they don't want to draw attention from any cops or any situation where they could be arrested or, you know, anything like that. So it's pretty tense when Dan's got like the gun in the picnic basket and he's like, got his finger on it. And then, and then, uh, snake bite Andy is, is about to, uh, like knock him out using her shine, like her yeah. ability. And then Abra, seemingly, she didn't even realize he was about to fall asleep either. She just kind of at the, like, was like, Where's, where's Crow? Where's the crow at the last second, which, which shocks him back awake.
1: You know, and in, in retrospectively, because at the time we don't know anything about this, but I love that throughout um Abra's this, this, uh, described as having this like really intense anger and like the lip rubbing you know thing and all these like hints that of their relationship of their you know how they're related to come. but it's just a cool detail it's like oh she's this like really tough aggressive little girl and that keeps like surprising people and um the way that that all builds to the reveal is just it's just cool
0: Right, and and uh, the smirk that, that Dan and everybody keeps seeing on her face, yeah. that sort of, like, gleeful, like, relishing in the in the pain of others sometimes kind of f- a smirk that she has. Right. Um, I found that to be, yeah, I found that to be, like, really endearing. I'm like, yeah, like, like clearly she understands, like, what's right and what's wrong. But then we just come to find out, kind of, like, I could see the smile of Jack Torrance in here, like, retrospectively, yeah. you
1: know. Yeah, exactly. It's some of those same demons, you know. Um, and then, and then of course we get the uh, the the kidnapping by by the crow crow daddy, uh, who who ends up getting the best of her, gets her injected, takes her in him and the unconscious Billy in his pickup truck, and then um, they end up having to do a swap again, where Dan gets into her body, and I love the detail of uh, how he goes to walk and he's like legs are all wobbly because. He's not used to having short legs, and like, mm-hmm. that was just such a like a clever detail that totally makes sense. But I, th- I think a lot of writers might overlook something like that or not think of it. It just shows like a really deep understanding of the moment, and they, they get the best of Crowdaddy. Get him, like force him to shoot himself. Essentially, all of this is stuff that Rose is being affected by because she can feel the death of each member of the True.
0: The stuff with Crow Daddy where he's like drugging Abra. And he's like giving her a little bit of the drug in her hand when she's trying to go to the bathroom and all that. And mm-hmm. it's really horrifying. And I'm like uh, thinking about how they're going to get out of the situation the whole time. And then, um, you know, Dan is kind of taking over a drugged body in a way also. So it's like, yeah, it's, but it it's seemed like, like the
1: drug mind of Abra went with her um, in a way. Right. And then he kind of projected his sober mind into her body, um, which I don't know. I mean, it, I could If that's the way it works, that's the way it works. Um, what did you think of, like, we talked about this in the last episode, and I think it holds true. This is not the same kind of novel as The Shining, and Definitely. it's much more about these almost wizard-like psychic beings doing battle with each other, and it's cool, and, like, I, l- I like that kind of fiction, and I like, you know, obviously as a fan of fantasy and a fan of dark fantasy, uh, I, you know, I was down with it, but... You know, when I would think of The Shining, I'm like, this really feels like a different sort of book. You know, um, we got right. people hopping bodies with each other and all this stuff. It's pretty, pretty out there,
0: right? And I think that that's the big distinction to be made, right? Like, so it's like if you're if you're in to this story for the fact that it's a sequel to The Shining and you want more horror in the same way that The Shining was, I think you probably would be disappointed. But if you're open minded to just a, a story that that Stephen King wanted to tell, um, you know, and, and like he, you know, he doesn't only write horror is the thing. So yep, to, to get true. some sort of, you know, it's, I think it's cool to have a variety and, and it's, you know, it flushes out this world in a, in a weird and interesting way, which I'm into definitely had to, to, uh, kind of switch gears and, and change expectations once I realized how much, uh, this wouldn't be like the shining, yeah. uh, but yeah, at some point you're like, God, everybody's got a different power. And is this just like powered people? And and yeah. it's, it's just it's very, very interesting that like because, uh, you know, you think of it put, putting those that type of characters in the background of The Shining. And you're like, well, there's tons of people shining out there when Danny's like a little kid in the Overlook. And they're all like they all have different powers and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. It's interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, and I don't want to be limiting with, like, the scope of horror, because I think horror can definitely include this novel, and, and, and does include this novel. Um, it doesn't have to be any one thing, but um, there is definitely an infusion of a, almost a different genre as well present, and, and at times this book kind of read like a thriller, um, with how v- just how rapid fire, the swapping of POVs, and the, the dramatic reveals, and the action um, it's actually like a real page turner for that reason. Um, and it reminded me of some, like some of the thrillers we've read, you know, and in, in some senses. So, um, it's, it's fascinating to me to see that how King can sort of incorporate all these different things into his fiction. Um, and I think that's a strength, um, that he has and, and something I enjoy because you, you don't really know exactly what you're going to get when you pick up a Stephen King novel in some ways, in some ways you do, but in other ways you don't, you know?
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about like the sort of mechanic of the the turning the wheel and turning the world, and I I, I like that. It's kind of it kind of it, um, whenever this this sort of stuff happens in a Stephen King book, now it makes me think of his sort of macroverse and what that means yeah. in the scope of that kind of thing. And it just like turning the world, and that that's the 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 specific wordage that he uses, and uh, I always find to be you know. And that's also something I was realizing is people, we we get repeated lines a lot from other books, like from The Shining. And I want to say I saw a line from another project we covered too. I was like, this is, this is like, I think he has repeated phrases throughout the universe.
1: Mm. So one thing that stood out to me, and and I'm sure you noted it, uh, all the references we were getting to other like major projects, either some of them we've covered, some of just like major popular titles out there. Um, We had Harry Potter, we had Game of Thrones. We had, you know, Aubrey, Imagine Yourself as Daenerys. Um, we had, uh, I think we had Twilight earlier. We had uh, Hunger Games, I believe, Catching Fire. There was just so much. Oh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, just so many things. And I'm like... This is why King is 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 he says that he feels like it's his job to stay up on like what's popular, and um, this is evidence of him using it.
0: I think it's also like putting it in the perspective of Abra and like where she's at and what she's consumed, and like he keeps referencing those things because that's like the stuff that she's she knows. Right um but the the really the only one that struck me as like not fitting and like with with that sort of thing with like hunger games and twilight and uh game of thrones all that was was the lord of the rings one when he was talking about gollum well that was was uh crow daddy daddy,
1: right so maybe he likes the older fantasy (laughs) right
0: yeah it was just funny that he was like yeah like gollum once said i was like whoa (laughs) i wasn't expecting that From like a hundred and something year old dude, apparently. Yeah, maybe he was an OG fan of Tolkien.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So Dan visits Abra's great-grandmother, Conchetta, who is dying of cancer, and telepathically learns from her that he and Abra's mother, Lucy, are half-siblings with the same father, Jack Torrance. As Conchetta dies, Dan takes her diseased steam into himself. Meanwhile, dissension in the ranks of the True Knot... Along with Rose's obsession with Abra, leads to the group splitting up, leaving Rose with even fewer followers. Okay, so this is building towards the end game, but this this was a big reveal, right? The Jack Torrance connection.
0: Yeah, it's huge. I do want to say that this. I think at this point, we're not supposed to really know that that um, Dan is like taken in Conchetta's disease theme.
1: Yeah, we didn't right? know it's that. Like, we w- didn't know that until later. That's right.
0: point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this reveal, I, I didn't see it coming, did you?
1: No, um, and there was clues, right, everywhere. Like, we talked yeah, about, like, the wiping totally. of the lips. So I kept thinking, like, I definitely made the connection. I was like, wiping of the lips is definitely something Jack Torrance did. But I thought it was just, like, a, a coincidence sort of thing. Like, it was just a, he was uh, evoking that. He was reminding us of that. Because, um, like, something about her reminded uh, Dan of, of his father. But I didn't think it was that direct. Like, no, it's because they're related.
0: I actually think the fact that you said coincidence is interesting because that's I feel like that's what he was building right like he very specifically was Stephen King was like building in coincidences like the fact that they were connected in some way uh, Abra and Dan at some point like why would they have been connected and like what reason would they have had to come together and then at some point in the book I think it's David Stone the father says you know this is such a crazy coincidence that you guys were connected and Dan was like no it's not a coincidence at all like it, w- it was like gonna happen because we were connected in this way Mm. um but yeah I did not see it coming uh I really when it happened I was like wow I was like that that is bold and they kind of go into it and they sort of sort of say like the backstory is that Jack Torrance had an affair in his partying days with somebody that he worked with at at the school totally believable yeah yeah yeah, I and it works. That that it yeah. works, and it's cool, and I like it r- also retrospectively for Lucy's character as well because you kind of see some of the fireiness of Jack Torrance in her as well.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, anything else in this section? I, I mean, this is this is a lot. Of, uh, we we could talk about them taunting, uh, Abra calling and taunting Rose,
0: and and how much she enrages her. I will. I gotta say, the the thing that struck me is they were the good I'll call them the good team the good side was getting a lot of wins throughout this whole book and I really felt like the other shoe was going to drop I was like wow they're they are winning a lot and like they're getting really lucky um I thought that the fact that they kept angering her and angering her was going to lead to her like really really showing up in the final battle and being like unstoppable um I thought that I think it was cool I will say that Abra is really composed for a 12 year old or whatever she's supposed to be and pretty yeah. witty and and like good at at keeping her composure and, and and raging an adult who you know i get it she's like got the upper hand but uh i was i was just surprised at how many times we we won against the bad guys right
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah and you know the one thing i i didn't think of it in the moment but like upon reflection i was a little surprised that rose couldn't keep her cool a little better considering how old she is You would think if you've lived that long, it would be harder to get a rise out of you. Now, I understand she's never been challenged in this way, and it's by a child, so you have that pride, right? And so maybe, you know, he's saying something about that. The pride is what does her in. And she's also
0: uh, back against the wall. Like, she's got no steam. Everybody's bailing on her. Um... You know, the yeah. measles is everywhere,
1: and may, maybe maybe uh, age doesn't doesn't change temperament, right? Like maybe if you have that temperament, you have it forever. So, so I, I, it's believable. I would just um, one of the things that that I think is very challenging when writing characters who are supposed to be li- have lived beyond human years is to convey those years and the way they behave, um, and the you know the wisdom they will have attained. And um, I guess I. I yeah, I mean, like you said, there was a lot of wins and I kept thinking there was going to be something like she was going to have one or two more tricks up her sleeve that she would would have foreseen some of this. Um and that didn't quite come to fruition, but it, I don't know, it wasn't it wasn't bad. It just was something that was was there.
0: I was anticipating Danny dying, like, for sure. I was like, oh, Danny's dead. Like, she's going to, after all the shit she's been talking, after all the stuff that goes down, like, she's going to ultimately, like, have some suffering or some loss that comes along with actually beating Rose.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and uh, I thought this novel had, was going to have a fourth act. Um, like we've talked about in some of the other projects we've covered, where where something else comes in after what you think is the climactic battle, and right. um, I'm, I'm we'll talk about that after we talk about this this final climactic
0: battle. So, what did you think about Dan running in and and because uh, I was kind of you know until we got the reveal that he's related in some way, uh, Conchetta was like very open to him like pretty quickly, and we don't we don't get the specifics of their conversation or anything, which you know kind of keeps. In in the shadows, this sort of fact that he put uh, Conchetta's kind of steam into into one of these lock boxes that he used to create, which we'll talk about the lock boxes as well because I was expecting some different things to come come from those lock boxes. Yeah, near the end,
1: I thought the the opening of the lock boxes we do get uh, Horace Durant comes out and wreaks some havoc, um, you know, kills uh, Silent Sari, but um, yeah, I kind of thought there might be more. Uh, uh, coming out of that more horrors unleashed.
0: Yeah, what did you think of the Concetta stuff with with Dan like like being there for her death and Lucy and everybody showing up after afterwards and it was interesting because she was like speaking Italian to him but he could understand cuz he was like touching her her mm-hmm. hand.
1: I thought I mean I thought it was fine. Um I didn't know where he was going with it. Um and then and then we get the reveal of the Jack Torrance stuff. I was like, oh, "Okay, it was for the reveal, it's for that." Um, I did not realize he was, he was like capturing her essence and that that essence would be tainted by her disease. Um, but I guess he had set that up because they took the steam from the baseball boy and that's how they got the measles, I guess, was from the steam. So like the steam itself was infected. So if she had cancer and she died, then that the cancer is in the steam too, which
0: we guess is like, we've talked about, as like their essence or their soul maybe. Yeah. And even as Dan was clearly like hurting leading up to the final battle, like his stomach was hurting and he was like keeling over and didn't everybody was like, you don't see, you don't look so well. I still didn't pick up on the fact that he had a disease inside of him. Right. The well,
1: and then and then he sees the flies on his face, which right. I thought that, you know, that's why you're led to believe he's going to die in this final fight. Because he, he, we, we set up earlier that when he sees flies on somebody's face. It's because they're likely to die. Um, right
0: well even before that i was like i thought that just narratively i thought he would die and then the flies confirmed that like you said like i was like oh he's definitely gone
1: yeah so you thought he was gonna die at the end right yeah i can see that okay so let's just get into this final confrontation following the kidnapping attempt that abra foils with dan's telepathic help she baits rose into confronting her at the location where the overlook hotel once stood in the rocky mountains colorado now home to a campsite owned by the true Dan and Billy travel to the site while Abra helps them by using her astral projection. Lying in wait, Dan releases the steam collected from Conchetta to the remaining group of True Knot members, killing all of them. He frees the ghost of Horister Wint to kill the last member, Silent Sari, waiting to ambush him and Abra, and the two fight rose in a long psychic struggle. With help from Billy and the ghost of Dan's father, Jack Torrance, they push Rose off an observation platform to her death. Before leaving the campsite, Dan sees his father wave goodbye, having finally found peace.
0: Well, a couple things I want to just clarify real quick is, like, um, I Dan didn't—I don't think he released—he he released— um, the ghosts of the Overlook that he'd been containing since he was a kid, not knowing what would happen. Not, it wasn't like he like sent them to attack Silent Sari and he had no idea that she was even there. So right. that sort of like unleashing moment was where I thought like, oh my god, like a bunch of Overlook ghosts are all about to come together, and it's about to get really ghosty right. up in here.
1: Well, and that was the fourth. I thought we were going to get a fourth act, um, where where the true knot was taken care of, but then. Uh, the the evil of the Overlook was going to have to be dealt with because it was going to be able to recuperate in some fashion. And, and that didn't really come to pass. But it, maybe that is more in keeping with The Shining because uh, novel because the Overlook is defeated at the end of The Shining. And remember that moment where you see the like stingray-looking smoke thing take off from the Overlook as it's just burning um, in the book? And, and so, like, I think the implication was that most of the evil, like, maybe, I mean, it's still an evil place, still a cold spot. Well, it was,
0: clearly, it was clear there was an entity that was, like, in the Overlook, and, yeah. like, maybe the entity is gone, but, like, the it's evils remain. Right? Yeah,
1: Exactly. So, it's not, like, the power isn't still there. Um, I am going to be very curious to see how they deal with that in the movie, where it seems like they're playing a little bit more with the movie of The Shining, where the Overlook is still there, just got abandoned, and those, all those Beings were not defeated. Um, So if that's the kind of thing we're looking for, I'm excited to see if that's what we're going to get more of that sort of um, the evil of the overlook. And then you have the the mixture of what's going on with the True Knot at at the same location. Um, So I'm excited to see how that's going to go down. But um, what did you think of, of Conchetta, the grandmother, killing all of the True Knot with her with her steam? you know i
0: liked it i thought it was really cool i thought that like because i felt like they she was she was built up to be an important character for a reason over she was whole yeah time. She,
1: i was saying she was she i was surprised at how much work he was doing on that character i felt like i really knew her and i liked her and I, you know i understood her background i liked that she was like a poet yeah that yeah. she was a poet was cool and and so it made sense when she became fairly pivotal at the end because i was like man he's put a lot of work into this character who didn't seem like she was going to have that pivotal role to play at the end in, in the end game, but she did it ended up working out, you know
0: So, so to talk about the ghosty stuff again real quick I, I kind of mm-hmm. thought that with like the overlook and everything that was going on with that I thought that rose was going to be like a conduit for the evil and like kind of like maybe like Bring back up some of that suffering and everything that had been there before um, but right. that wasn't really the case. Oh, the other thing I wanted to clarify, by the way, is in this synopsis that you're reading. It said specifically that that with the help of da- uh, Jack Torrance, they defeated Rose, which is like it is implied, I would say, but it's not outwardly like he's helping. Like it's like it's like you're there's right. like a gust, and then and then like it distracts Rose, and and you know later we see Jack Torrance, which obviously I think it's leading to the the, the reader to believe that it's Jack Torrance, but it's not like outwardly. Jack Torrance is saving the day kind of thing.
1: Right. And we we have to remember that in the original Shining book, it's different than the movie and that Jack Torrance actually does struggle against the Overlook and, and he's able to win essentially at the end, right? And spare his son.
0: Yeah, so I think it's it's like the two the distinction is like the movie, Jack Torrance is um like already an awful person before he gets to the hotel. Yep. And in this one it's like he's a he's got some he's got his issues in the book, but when he goes to the Overlook it's exacerbated and the really the overlook takes him over. And by the end there's like a creature inhabiting him. Remember like near the boiler, there's like that moment where it's like not even him anymore. Yeah, uh, it's like fully the creature. So I would say that, yeah, but like he has like that moment in the, in
1: the in the hallway where he comes up against Dan and he has a moment of clarity where he's able to let Dan escape too, where he kind of bests it. Um, right. Jack. So so I think that's the Jack we're seeing, right? Like we're it's it, we're left to believe that that's the Jack that persisted, not the monster. The monster was driven away right. um, by the destruction of the Overlook. So yeah. so that's why we have good torn. And that's why we're not going to get what I was talking about. We're not going to get the evil jack torrance coming in and making somebody go crazy so um you know that, that i think that was somewhat of a, of a mix-up in my head as i was thinking about the movie in the in the book you know
0: yeah i would have i will say that like the the idea of david stone the writer going to the same area with the overlook and still you know the entity is gone but it's still some sort of evil remains and things are there yeah. so like the the idea of him being consumed by his own demons maybe not necessarily jack torrance but like you know the overlook the area where the overlook was like exacerbating something in him could have been interesting but um you know he didn't decide to go that route
1: i started to think that it was going to be danny i was like so I, th- I thought that jack torrance's madness um now you could say that it kind of does but it's brought on through um through rose right right she she gets him strangling and then it's revealed that he's strangling abra and he's like oh i almost killed you and so that's him having the rage moment um, but it's brought on by like an illusion and the psychic battle he's having with with um, Rose, not because of the Overlook, and right. so that that was where where I was surprised because I thought um, you're getting someone who has that in their blood that their same thing and they're back now and like the Overlook, you know, let him escape once and now he's back and and they're gonna it's gonna try and take him over right like it wanted Danny all along and it's gonna try and use the the rage and the and the hate that you know was is latent inside of him and bring it to the fore and i thought there was going to be a moment of like him chasing around abra and like i thought he was going to say some of the same shit that his father said and then he was going to have to fight against it and well he did um, i
0: did like the, the like while he thought he was choking rose he was like take your medicine you're going to take your yeah. medicine like that so, was, so so it was was like kind you, of... it's like you kind of get it but um
1: the source was different right but yeah, yeah you're right there there is a little bit of that so um it, for me, if I'm adapting the movie, I think I lean more heavily into that. So I'm going to be really curious to see if that's what they do because I think that'll be exciting.
0: Yeah, it, I, I, you know, the fact that they've said that they're going to try to do justice to both the book and the movie is, I, I'm excited to see what we get here. Um, I am hearing good buzz, so I'm excited yeah. to see the movie definitely.
1: For sure, which we will be covering next week. Um, but let's let's finish up here. We have we have um we have an epilogue section, but is there any more about this final confrontation? We want to say.
0: I did want to really quickly talk about the uh, Horister went and like Silent Sari stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, cool. Where she's where she's like waiting in the shed and her ability, her shining ability is to like kind of camouflage. She's kind of a chameleon. Uh, and the moment when it's just it's just like, I mean, it's just like a shining fuck yeah moment where it's like the ghosts are now like kind of fighting for us in a way.
1: Yeah, I thought we were gonna get more of that, you know? Um he has the uh the confetti on him like he's been at the party and he says the thing. I wanted him to say the unmask thing. Remember that was such a big thing he kept saying over and over again. Yeah. M- referencing the mask of the red death. Um yeah. and we didn't get that here but you know it was like it, it's like we got a little bit of it but I wanted a little more. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about. Uh, you know, like my expectation was like, when we get to the end, we're going to deal with like a lot of the things that the Shining set up and like some of the some of the stuff. And there, and I think there was just enough for people who were looking for that. But uh, I was surprised at how little there was ultimately happy with the story. But I was just, you know, like I said, surprised.
1: Right. And then we do get this moment um, where we see Jack Torrance, the ghost, like blows a kiss to his son and and, and and they have this like um genuinely happy moment and it just reminded me of how a lot of King that we've read does tend to have a happy ending. He like it seems like he likes his happy endings. And um this this felt in keeping with that. We talked about how The Shining was a very personal story for King and he was struggling with demons. He he said that he recognized in himself the, uh, the capability of violence and, and anger at his own children and how that terrified him and, and I think he put that into Jack Torrance and then the idea of this like mostly good writer tormented by demons but then besting them at the end and coming out okay and, and, and at least like not killing his own son um, a- after all the damage he did and then, and then you see this here. Like, I wonder if it's, it's King is so like he identifies so strongly with 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 both. I think um, Jack Torrance and Danny at this point. Um, I wonder if if that's why this happy ending feels so right to him because I think in his life it seems like he has turned a corner on this part of himself. Right.
0: Yeah. The more after talking about it in our first episode coverage of, of Doctor Sleep, I realized how much you know, clearly King probably did AA in some, in some form. And, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of that, I think, I think it's interesting to think of King when he was writing this novel versus King when he was writing The Shining, right? Like he was basically an alcoholic at the point that he was writing The Shining and here it's like reformed and an older man and you know, I think he's seeing I, I don't know there are a couple of things where it's like i think I think someone on like I said before the good team, I definitely thought someone would die, yeah, um, just because I felt like there weren't i I don't think that there were any consequences to the good team throughout the whole uh story for the most part, which I mm. thought to be i you know if that's the story you wanted to tell, that's the story you wanted to tell. I just found it's interesting to be surprising.
1: because you remember that Dick Halloran doesn't die in the shining in the book, right? But he does in the movie, so that's, that's another situation where you look at it and you're like, wait a minute. So nobody dies, right? Like Jack, Jack doesn't kill anybody, right?
0: But like, but I mean, Wendy's beaten mercilessly with, right. with a mallet and all that. That's kind of stuff, true, but yeah, like...
1: and and severely. And so is Dick. But um, right. but yeah, I mean, um, you're you're right, and I, I wonder if it has anything to do with that, right? Like how strongly King identifies with Jack Torrance and Danny here, right? Because I think it's almost like past self and 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 current self talking to each other in dialogue. And, um, and it's such a personal story. I'm I'm glad that it feels like he went there again with the personal connection for Dr. Sleep. So I think you have to if you're going to if you're going to come back to this material, you're going to have to really like pour your soul into it again. Um, and it and, and one of the reasons it's so different. And my, my book had like a little post uh, interview with uh, not interview, but just like a, an author's note that King read himself And he talks about how he's a different man now. And, and, you know, he, so a different novel is going to be what he ends up writing. And and I think that was telling, if you read between the lines there a little bit about the stuff we're talking about.
0: Yeah, so the moment, I I mean, I was kind of conflicted with the the Jack Torrance moment. Um, When we ultimately see him and he's waving and kissing, like I felt, in terms of like how I felt when I was reading it, I felt like it was a, you know, fitting end and it was nice. But at the same time, I was thinking like, you know i think I think it's nice to tie both of the characters together in that way and kind of seeing all the the father issues that Danny's been dealing with throughout the throughout his whole life and how it's still stuck with him and like you know his dad died his mom died after you know being not not because of the effects of the the attack or anything like that, but she like through her whole life dealt with like the the damages or like sort of like yeah. injuries that she sustained and uh Dick Halloran died having a bunch of injuries so it's I don't know I I was conflicted because I'm like although he was being controlled he still had it in him to do all this stuff um and to see like a sort of happy ending feels Yeah weird that comes
1: it. back to what we were talking about in our shining coverage where I think in our third episode when we had Wendy uh Wendy Wagner on I think we were we were openly asking the question do you forgive Jack Torrance was Jack Torrance a good person an evil person you know where do you where do you put that scale how much of it was the overlook and how much of it was the man and this to me seems to say that king is is weighing it a lot more in the in, in uh, on the overlook and less on Jack Torrance and if right. maybe if Jack Torrance had gone to AA and maybe he had you know been able and not gone to the overlook maybe he would have been okay um yeah. whereas I- movie Jack Torrance very different right and, and 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 we're you're seeing what some of the reasons why I think king didn't like the movie right because if this is the story that he believes in that is not the story that is in the shining uh kubrick adaptation so that difference alone i could see just never being able to uh to come to grips with that and never being able to to be okay with it
0: and i think it's cool to see like the reflection of danny's journey right like danny danny was like in the same rock bottom place that his father was in but Came out of it and I think that's like the the whole point of this story versus that story like ultimately our main character in the shining succumbs and and like can't beat all of his demons and they, they overtake him and I think this is the inverse right like this is the story that's telling like being rock bottom but but like fighting your way out and having like that sort of um you know, hardline stand and like sobriety and all that stuff. So yeah. it is it, it's cool to see that like he's saying like Jack Torrance had him in had it in him as well or something like that. Or at least to give him some sort of small redemption. And and like I like with a lot of King's characters too, it's like I don't think he's saying that now that Jack Torrance has done this, he's a good guy. It's just that like he had the good in him as well as the the bad.
1: Right. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this epilogue, because I think it's also very interesting for some of the same reasons we're talking about. So, in the epilogue, Dan celebrates 15 years of sobriety and attends Abra's 15th birthday party. He tells her about the patterns of alcoholism and violent behavior that run in his family and warns her not to repeat them by starting to drink or submitting to her rage. Abra agrees that she will behave... But before they can finish the conversation, Dan is called back to his hospice where he comforts a dying colleague who had antagonized him in the past, uh, which was uh, a man named Fred. Yeah. So so what did you think of all of that? I, let's unpack that.
0: So yeah, the Abra stuff. It's cool because we get like a jump ahead of time and she's like even more of a teenager than she was in the story that we got. And we can already see her. She has the demons that, that Danny and Jack had. Um, You know, like her her sort of looking at alcohol is like not that big of a deal could potentially be dangerous. We're starting to see and like she has the anger that's going to be tough to control. But I think with Danny's guidance, like, you know, although I felt after after The Shining, Danny would lead a, a good life here. We're led to believe that because of Danny, Abra will lead a good life. But who knows when he when he writes The Shining 3 and we get, like, Abra's <laughs> Abra's later story when she's hit rock bottom, maybe it'll feel differently.
1: Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get that. but that, We're not going to get that. Yeah, I, I kind of hope we don't. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like to see this sort of generational conversation going on. And um, we talk a lot about how in King's work, he talks about this, like, cycle of violence and, and how it perpetuates itself. And um, these seem to be characters, rare Stephen King characters, who are... Maybe they haven't successfully broken away from it, but they are doing battle with it, and it seems like they're winning. It seems to me like Dan has, you know, as evidenced by 15 years sober... He's coming. He's coming around, and he he um. I love that he confesses his 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 darkest moment at the end, and and I also love the that like people don't really care and they don't really think it's that big a deal.
0: Um, I was thinking like so far like I, you know it was a dark moment and it was tough for us as the reader and for him as the person going through it. But I was thinking, I kept thinking like if why is he so afraid to tell everybody this because like they're not going to care that much, right? Like I kind of well, felt like that would be didn't,
1: the issue. So so part it's interesting because he kind of left out part of it. And that's that he um, could tell that the child was being abused and had thought that that could end up killing the kid and then left and then found out later that it did kill the kid. Right. And he left all of that out of his confession. So maybe it would have been a little worse if he had, if he had said all of that, but it seemed like he was really focused on just the fact that he left, which is fair. And, And a lot of the stuff that he, he found out was like through his supernatural ability later, um, I don't know. It just seemed like maybe kind of a half confession to me. Um, I maybe would have liked to see him fully come clean. Um, maybe that's yeah. why it wasn't as affecting to the people there.
0: Yeah, when he first was talking about his deepest darkest secret too, I was also thinking for a while that uh, like he might come out and tell the like in conjunction with like leaving the kid, he would he would tell the the Overlook story. So he's like, as a kid, like all this stuff happened to me. I have an ability and then roll into that story. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that would have been, uh, that would have been quite a story. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, we see Abra has these anger problems and we see, and we see uh, Danny trying to talk her through it and, and not to, not to go down the same path he went. And I like that he said that like, you can't, I can't just tell her, like, you can't talk to a young person and tell them not to, not to like grow up and not to have to experience things themselves. Um, but he didn't say this, but I kept thinking like, but you can be an example, right? You can, you can live as an example and you can, um, in a way he's still having a positive effect on her, even if he's not telling her what to do. Um, he's still kind of showing her the way.
0: And he kind of does that. He tells, like, the story of, like, the grandfather, like, like Jack Torrance's father. So he's, do- like you said, like, the example is there. It's not like he's just, like, saying, like, yeah. I can't tell her anything.
1: Yeah, He's laying it out for her. He's giving her the information so that she can choose to do with it what she will. So she still has her own agency in the decision, right, which I think is essential, right? Like, they, you know, someone has to choose for themselves. They can't just have that choice made for him because then it won't, it won't matter to them or there'll be something that they can easily undo later. Um, but if it's self-driven, they're more likely to probably follow through with it. Um, so I, I guess this last bit, let's talk about this last bit. And then I have like an overall observation meta theory I want to talk about. But, um, at the end here we get the orderly who, uh, had been abusing former patients and, um, was a real asshole and Danny hated and he's been hit by a car and he's dying, and then Danny is called in to do his doctor sleep routine. He comes in and he like helps the guy uh, pass over, and then he like he's going to. And then like there's the bit about the dog, which got me as a dog lover. Like oh, he's got this dog who's he's gonna wait for him to come home. And he's like you know I have a I have a I have a niece who will be excited to, to get a dog, and he's you know he's, he's gonna take care of the dog. So you know go Danny. Um, so there's all this stuff that where where Danny's being very um he's being this like saintly person at the end and he's and he even says like it's his sacrament and he um he is able to be the bigger man and do the right and do the good thing even though this guy doesn't maybe deserve it so so was your takeaway of that and and why did it happen at the end of this book
0: well I, I think like the whole doctor sleep thing speaks to like danny as a character like without without the context of anything else like we know that that like he feels like this is like his duty and like inherently we can see that he's like a good person and that like he in the in people's most vulnerable moments like in the times that they're they're going to be passing away he's there to like ease their suffering and kind of like he's experiencing all those deaths basically with them because he can kind of feel what's going on too so it's like it's almost like this like i don't know like we talked about before and they talk about in the book, that's like, maybe it's some sort of like penance for what he'd done and, and it, you know, it makes him feel better that he's like helping people now when he can, uh, in his own special way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I think it really does make sense for the character and, um, it shows, it shows the growth he's undergone and, and the way he's letting go of the anger, um, that has controlled him. Um, so I, I, think narratively it does make sense and it's, and it's a nice ending for this. um, I want to get into some fairly bizarre meta theories that I have about this book. Um, do you have anything else you want to, you wanted to do before I get into that? I, no, I think I'm good. Okay, um, so I, I'm gonna just huge grains of salt for all of this. This is just stuff I've been thinking about. It's half baked um, because I haven't like gotten a chance to like really lay it all out. But um, I've been touching on how I feel like Stephen King identify strongly with both Jack Torrance and Danny Torrance and how I think in some senses, Jack Torrance is like previous old, like young version of Stephen King and Dan Torrance is, you know, current Stephen King. And if I were to extrapolate that out further, I would say that Abra is potentially his children, right? Um, Stephen King's children. And so it felt to me very much like a father speaking to his children and talking to them about some of... Because, you know, obviously King faced demons and he's and he might be seeing some similar evidence of some of these demons in his own children. And through his fiction, this could be a way for him to speak to um, his real-life children in a way. and And then I was thinking about how the Shining Power could also be interpreted as, like potentially Stephen King's real life superpower and that he is this amazing storyteller. And we see a lot of his children, they're writing novels and being storytellers themselves and they have a similar power. And, and, um, you know, maybe it's interesting that he's saying that the, you know, Abra is more powerful than he ever was. So maybe that's him trying to say that, you know, his, his children are going to be even better writers than he is. And, and then, um, and then even at the end with this character, this, this asshole character who doesn't deserve forgiveness, um, I was remembering how, when I read on writing, he got into, he talked a lot about how he got hit by a car. I don't know how much you know about this, but he got hit by a car when he was out walking. He did this walk he would do every day and he got hit by this car. And the guy who did it was this like, like piece of shit guy. And, um, I can't remember all the details, but he, he's even said, it seems like a character he would write like the dumb, mean, just like this awful human being. And I, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I wonder if this it was a way of metaphorically, like, forgiving the guy. Um, or, or like letting go of that anger that he probably felt at the guy because it, I don't know, like the it seemed like he was he was giving forgiveness to someone who didn't really deserve it and I wonder if like in, in some like meta way it was some sort of like cathartic moment for him. Anyway, I was reading into all sorts of shit into like Stephen King's personal life that um, I'm sure he would deny all of it um, but I just thought that was kind of fun. I don't know, what do, what do you think of all that?
0: I mean yeah, for the sake of the, I'm sure for the sake of the, his art and his story he would deny it but like you're ultimately you're bringing things from your own life into the, into. To it, and I think it's like the the sort of, and you know, I'm not an older man, so I don't know, but I think it's sort of like the message of an older man, or like the the outlook on life of an older man, to say like, of course, like forgive this person that that you know you don't understand and like you don't agree with, and and maybe is an asshole or whatever, because like w- what does it matter at the end of the day? Like, what does it matter to hold a grudge? What does it matter to be, you know, all of that? Um, In terms of like the Abra stuff, I think I, I think I like the idea of like. Um, and I think about this I end up thinking about this a lot actually like like what you know like what you leave behind like what what life ultimately is is just like legacy right there's there's nothing but like what you leave behind is like the people that you touch and the the things that you write maybe or the things that you leave behind uh, that other people can experience. So it's like it kind of always does feel to me like an artist speaking to the future or speaking to loved ones or speaking to that that sort of thing. Um, so I'm sure that Stephen King, as he's gotten older, is realized that and and I'm sure he's threading in sort of like subliminal messages to his family, like when they read his stuff in the future or whatever, like this is like me speaking to you.
1: Even if it's not directly meant for that, meant meant to speak to them, working through it in your fiction. I don't know, in sort of a public way can still be sort of therapeutic in a way or um, because, I mean, obviously he's speaking to his fans, too. Right. And he's speaking to his readers. And I don't know. It's just um, I don't know how much of that was on the I mean, maybe it was maybe um, if there was any of that going on, it was completely unintended. It's all definitely possible. I I don't know. It's a type of close reading that can sometimes be frustrating when you're like trying to like psychoanalyze the author based off of tons of stuff. You know right. what I mean? And like the only reason I can even do this is because I know so much about him, his like real life, having read on writing and like you know what I mean. Like if I didn't know so much about him, I wouldn't be doing any of this. It would all be a mystery. Um. So right. for
0: the sake of a story, I would say that he would probably just try to deny as much as he could, just because it's like. You know, you don't necessarily want to. We've talked about it a lot, but like reflecting the work on the artists and like if this is like meant to represent them or if it's you know, yeah, or if it's just a character.
1: Well, I mean, you could take that even further. Like, are the true not and the, the the you know the older generation losing to the younger generation and this these old vampires you know in America is he is he is he is he making statements about you know old money and and like all these people needing to die out and let the new generation you know because I mean. King's a very liberal guy. You follow him on Twitter and, you know, he's actively commenting on this sort of stuff. So I wonder if, I mean, all of this was going on in his head. Now, this was 2013, so this is pre-Trump, you know, so, I, you know, maybe things weren't as heightened back then. But um, I don't know. It's uh, it's, just, it's fascinating to think about.
0: But the true not very clearly within the book represents like older people with money who are like very conservative in nature and they have um, tons of power tons of power like the influence over the over the states and the the laws and the government and everything so literally look at look at people as just food for
1: them like completely you know inhuman yeah so you know yeah it does seem to say like that maybe that is saying something about about that i don't know um all of these are just i think are interesting readings i definitely think there are a million other readings you could take you know what i mean like you could read this book and have a completely different readings of it and um You know, I'd I'd love to hear about them. So if anybody has any other theories or if they want to talk to me about my theory, I'd love to hear. Just, you know, write into us, inktofilm at gmail.com. Would love to hear it. But I am now super excited for this movie, like we talked about. I I think there is a lot of room for different things to happen in the adaptation involving the you know the differences we had um, between between book and film and um, I think we are going to be well equipped to talk about them now because I've refreshed my memory Um, you know we're very very familiar with the movie obviously of The Shining so um, yeah I'm looking forward to talking with you about it seeing the movie and, and I think it's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. I just I'm seeing buzz. I saw a headline. I I didn't read the article at all, but I saw a headline that s- Stephen King said that this that Doctor Sleep makes uh makes up for The Shining or something like that. So basically, he's yeah. saying that like he it makes it all right. It makes this. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that
1: because the in the did, did you get the final author's note I was referring to earlier? You got that in your in your version? Right? Yes. Yep. Yeah what did you think of it it seemed to me like he took another shot at at the kubrick like he was he was like a lot of people seem to be frightened by uh you know or have like a i forget what he said like be frightened by the uh kubrick which version never of Shining, understood which i never understood you know like i was like he's still he's still taking shots man
0: i think that it's just like he's he's just never going to not say that his is the superior version which i understand like he's always going to yeah. say that his is the correct version but right. i i think i think the thing comes up where it's like I don't think that he he's very clearly not saying that it's not artistic and it's not like a great movie. He's just saying that it's not his interpretation of the Torrance family. like that's not what happens in his. So I think he ultimately feels like he didn't connect with it because it's because Co- Kubrick is so cold and calculated and it's very it's a very different sort of movie than the than the book was. uh, you know, we talked about like the struggle of J- Jack Torrance versus like him already basically being. Hateful towards his family and stuff at the beginning of the movie
1: Well, and and I think I think it shows what frightens King about the shining is maybe different than what frightens his readers at times yeah, because I think what frightens him about the shining was the idea of losing yourself and letting the like inner demons win if you are at your heart and you believe you're a good person yet still losing out to like the evil that's within you and the, you know, how he talks about like everybody is, you know, got some evil in them. Everybody's got some scumbag in them. I forget what the exact line is, but there's, there's a line at the end of this book that says that. And that's what he finds terrifying. And I think that he believes that that is the essential thing to take. And when you, if you change the character of Jack Torrance in the way that Kubrick did, that is no longer the the, the problem because jack Torrance was a piece of shit evil guy anyway and then he just gets empowered by the overlook so you lose that that thing that i think king is really really wedded to right like that's what he loves about the story so um, i think that's what i think that's ultimately why he's saying that if i uh, try and read right. between the lines there that's i mean it's theory, definitely like
0: least. it's definitely like an arc versus like a spiral right it's like it's yeah. like very clearly there's like a struggle going on in one and the other one is just like a downward slope
1: well, and, and people have talked about, I mean, in Kubrick's thing, it could be, like, the evil of, that's inherent in humanity and, and the evil of, of, like, heritage and... Yeah, yeah interpretations yeah. that can be yeah. built into that.
0: Is it the Apollo landing?
1: <laughs> it, yeah, maybe it's the Apollo landing. Um, I, you know, I, I love The Shining movie. We, we, you know, we talked about it. I, I absolutely love it. and um, I, I don't think that... I don't know. I mean, like, the, as the originator... Like you said, like he's always going to stand by his version and I get that and, you know, more power to him. So I'm just going to be really curious to see how this all uh, comes together for the film. And I'm sure we'll be touching a lot of these same subjects next week when we discuss it, man.
0: Yeah, I hope that Flanagan talks about the the Apollo landing in, in Dr. Sleep as well.
1: <laughs> I do I do hope that there are some like, uh, there's going to be some like conspiracy theories and because he has to know going in that he's he's following in the footsteps of kubrick right so he has to he has to yeah but
0: how do you even follow that dude it's like it's such a feat i don't think that i think you have
1: to be hiding things that's you have to go in assuming that you're going to hide something in like every scene i don't know but then it could be then it
0: could be like too overt and like too on the nose like it's almost like you have to like clever i don't know it has to yeah you have to be really fucking you have to be a genius basically and you have (laughs) to like make it like like up to interpretation (laughs) very up to interpretation I mean, you're following Kubrick, so the
1: pressure is there, man. If you're going to try it, you might as well swing for the fences, you know? Yeah. I, I say fucking go for it. I'm excited. Um, I'm fascinated. So I just wanted to thank one of our longtime patrons, Chris C. Uh, I know he lives out in Colorado, and he's been to uh, the Overlook, uh, you know, the uh, was it Stanley Hotel out there? Um, he's been a supporter of ours for a long time on Patreon, so shout out to him. Hopefully he uh, reads Dr. Sleep and enjoys this coverage. Um, And if you want to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com slash ink to film, and you can see what sort of bonus content we have up on there. We have a lot of uh, bonus episodes. We just released one where we were reacting to... Uh, and talking about uh, the Double Ds and all the drama with them and departing from Star Wars. And then we also discussed Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and their comments about Marvel and how it's not cinema and so forth. So if you want to hear us discuss that and other adaptation news, uh, become a patron and or think about becoming a patron and uh, you'd be a huge help to us.
0: Yeah, thanks again to Chris for being a patron. Tiny little follow up to our bonus episode that I just want to throw out there. Martin okay. Scorsese has now, since uh, written an article in the New York Times talking right. about his uh, talking about his mar- thoughts on Marvel movies and cinema and all the all of that. So just know that that didn't go into our bonus episode because that wasn't <laughs> right. out yet. And now it wasn't out yet. It, I mean, I think it kind of adds some more context to what we were talking about. Is sort of like the statements that were being pulled didn't really necessarily. Uh, you know, fit exactly what he was saying. So, definitely check out that bonus episode if you're interested. I think it, we definitely dove into it. It was it was really fun to talk about. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to Film, And join the Council of Inklings. It's a great place to, you know, see articles like that. I think, Luke, as soon as you saw something about Martin Scorsese with the Marvel stuff, posted it in, the, in, in uh, the Council of Inklings. So if you're interested in that sort of news and want to be involved in the conversation and any sort of polls that we put up for future projects, definitely check that out.
1: Absolutely. And if you would like to support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, Tell a friend, tell another Stephen King reader, you know, um, and beyond that, leave us a rating and review, uh, wherever you found the podcast. That's, it helps us continue to grow. It helps get the word out. Um, the biggest challenge that us as a small indie cast, uh, has that faces us all the time is just getting the word out and getting, you know, more listeners to even know we exist. So anything you can do to help us in that regard, greatly appreciated.
0: Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. And thank you to Jennifer Delisano for providing our transcripts.
1: All right, man. So all that's left to do now is to go see this film and then talk about and put the bow on uh, the Shining, Dr. Sleep combo coverage. (laughs) I don't know. Whatever you want to think of it. Um, Whatever. Regardless, um, I'm into it. I hope you guys all join us again next week for that. And
0: until next time. Thanks for listening.